HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Talk, the only unified platform for reservations, takeout, and event management. Switch to Talk today to increase your revenue and reach 19 million loyal and engaged guests around the country. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and guess what? We are back here at our cozy studio in the backyard of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm so thrilled to be back. I haven't been here since February 2020. It's crazy, uh, but it feels really great to be in the studio. And today is Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. This is the 297th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the founder of a leading hospitality PR agency in New York City, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to have a genuine approach. Yes, keep it real. Speak the truth. Tell stories from the heart and ones that have meaning. Fibs and falsehoods will only work for so long. As yes, everyone can see through BS. So always be sincere in your pitch as authenticity is everything. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest here with me in the studio, and guess who it is? It is Stephen Hall. He is the founder of Hall PR, a multilingual media agency focusing on culinary and hospitality. Stephen founded his NYC-based company in 1996 with the late Sam Fire. Fryer, am I saying that wrong? Fire, yeah, Fire. With the late Sam Fire, like, like Fire with an R, as he was. <laughs> late Sam Fire. Born and bred in Flushing, Queens, Stephen is the epitome of a native New Yorker. Gifted with a sharp wit, tongue, and smart 
and street smart instincts, he created his own reality throughout his career and has never shied away from a challenge or opportunity. Without further ado, <laughs> Stephen, welcome Yay. to the show. <laughs> Rounds of applause. Wow, it's amazing to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. I'm yes. so honored to be the first guest back. We're the first show back. That's I so know. exciting. Thanks. I'm excited. I looked back. My last show in the studios with Gabriel Stolman. Oh, wow. Nice. On February 12th, 2020. And then I looked. I counted the numbers of shows I've done since then. I've done 55 episodes remotely. Wow. Yes. Good for you. <laughs> Bravo. Well, you know, there were so many stories to tell during those 55 weeks. You know, there's mm -hmm. been a tremendous amount of up starts and changes in the restaurant business, and I bet people really needed a place to talk about it. So you gave them a vehicle. Good for you. Thank you. It felt good to be continuing to do the show throughout this year with the pandemic. I mean, it, I'm sure it's you know to tell stories or so as you said, so many stories to tell, so many different types of stories. So let's talk about your story, though. Gave us a lifeline. My story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Take us back a bit because you're a born and bred New Yorker. Yes, ma'am. And Queens. yeah, so how did you how did you fall into the hospitality industry? I mean, take us back a little bit. I know you worked in restaurants. You had some restaurant I did. experience. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you know, I was a... Let's see, what can I say? I was born in Flushing, Queens to a lovely middle-class Jewish family who went out to, whose idea of going out to eat was to the local Chinese restaurant or even the diner. And um, I loved restaurants always since the time that I was a kid. Maybe it was because I was a chubby kid. So food was always something that was omnipresent in my life. Maybe not always the best food. Sorry, mom, but you know, kosher cooking was not always great. Now it is in a very different way. But, um, but I loved the idea of um, going out and breaking bread around a table. And I was always a theatrical person. You know, I loved the arts and I loved theater and going to theater. And like many others, I thought maybe I would make a career in it. And therefore, like many others, I started working as a server in a restaurant. And I loved the restaurant business more than I loved the theater business. It sort of spoke to me in a different way. I found restaurants to be incredibly theatrical places because everything happens. You know, the circle of life, as the Elton John song goes, would take place in a restaurant. You would be at one table, they'd be celebrating a birthday. Another table would be, you know, um, commiserating over a divorce. Somebody else would be getting engaged. And I mean, it all exploded in front of your very eyes while these people were eating. And I was kind of fascinated by it. And I went into, I, I decided to learn more about it. And so I gave my services, I offered my services to the general manager of the restaurant I was working at at the time, which was a groundbreaking restaurant in New York in 1987 called Arizona 206, which was the first Southwestern restaurant um, to open up in New York. Right on the corner was also Yellow Fingers and Contrapunto, and they were just, it was dry dock country, as they used to call it in New York, the Upper East Side. It was over by Bloomingdale's, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And when those movie theaters there were the first ones. So that was real. I mean, I worked in a restaurant before that called Safari Grill, which was owned by David Kay with the amazing Ed Schoenfeld, who was the very first general manager oh, I wow. ever worked with. And he really taught, they taught me a lot about restaurants. I worked there for two and a half years. I met great people there who I still know to this day. And that's one of the other things about restaurants that I love so much is the long lasting relationships that you make with people. 
Um, and so I started at Safari Grill in 1985 and I stayed there till 87. And then it was in at Arizona 206 when I decided I got kind of like the restaurant bug. Um, and the chef who um, is now a dean at the Culinary Institute of America, Brendan Walsh, was the original chef. He and I became friends. Um, and uh, eventually when he left the restaurant, I worked with him for a summer at a restaurant in Long Island, in Island Park, called Coyote Grill. And then when I came back to the city after the summer, I decided I was going to go into management. And um, my first job was Time Cafe. Oh, and um, where, for those of you who don't know, where the restaurant Lafayette is now at the corner of Great Jones and Lafayette Street. And Time Cafe was a magical restaurant. You know, it sort of, it, it became a stomping ground for so many people in the arts. It was part of the, I don't know what scene it was, punk rock slash new wave kind of disco scene that Mm -hmm. was playing there. And a lot of comedians and Def Jam Records was just starting. And we had a lot of those artists who came to the restaurant. And I was a server slash manager. And it was a really interesting, it was a very interesting time. And it was a great experience. And then I went on to uh, manage the jazz club at Iridium when it first opened across from Lincoln Center, which was my joining together of two of the things I loved the most, which was jazz and food. Um, and then I stayed there for a while before I decided I needed to have a major change in my life. And a very smart person said to me, go into PR. And it was Kareen Bakum, whose company, Cabri Network News, was at the that time the um, epitome you know, of a hospitality PR company. And she said, going to PR. And I was like, what do I do? And she said, well, you do the same thing that you do to guests at a table, except you do it to journalists over the phone. And I said, hmm, I give good phone. I could do that. <laughs> so I did. Um, and I quit my job. And two weeks later, I was a publicist. And I was working with her. And it was a great time. And it, it was right place, right time moment. I knew so many people. They were line cooks when I was a server or a restaurant manager. They were now becoming chefs in their own right. And they needed a publicist. And one person you know, said to me, you know, he was open, his a gentleman uh, chef, his name is Keith Rennie. He was opening a restaurant with a restaurateur named Simon Oren um, on the Upper West Side called Mad Fish. And they came to us to be their PR person. And then after the first six months of working with us at KB, Oren said to me, why don't you be our in-house PR person? Because we have so many more restaurants on the horizon. And I was just like, mm, I'm not sure, you know, maybe I want to do my own thing, but I haven't been here long enough to know everything there is to know. And he said, what's there to know? He said, you want to open up your own business? Open up your own business. I'll give you an office in our restaurant. And that's exactly what he did. And I had an office at the restaurant. Sam and I had an office in the restaurant Mad Fish that was probably smaller than this room. Um, but they built me an amazing office. They, they literally went all out for us. Um, and uh, I, they, they gave me an office and they gave me a key and they said, this is the door to your office and there's the key. And I opened up the door and there was this huge mahogany desk and a credenza, like, like the kind like a Monopoly desk would be. And, um, and I was like, what's with the desk? Guys, this is amazing. <laughs> and they were all immigrants from Israel. And one of, the three, one of the three partners said, this was my desk when I first came to this country because I thought the sign of a successful person was a really big desk. And he said, that desk brought me luck and you should have it. It should bring you luck too. And that's wow. how I started my business. So much in there. Do you still have the desk? <laughs> <laughs> Don't have the desk anymore, but you know. 
Um, but still have the story. And and you've been still going. And for so long, I mean, this is yeah. 25 years. 25 years. And so many similarities between us. But And one is I got my start in PR at KB Network News. I was there. I don't think I knew that. You didn't? Oh, I thought we had talked about this. I don't maybe. remember. Yes. Maybe, maybe yes. I learned PR. Um, I was there in 2000, 2001. Okay, so and, that I was five years before you, and still, I mean, I, I, I mean, still, like, it was, it, it was the agency of. I mean, there weren't that many no. PR agencies that specialize in restaurants, and I had that that moment where the aha moment because someone who had also had restaurant experience being like, oh wait, I can represent restaurants. I don't necessarily have to be the one waiting tables or cooking, and so I learned. Yeah, so I have that. We have that in common, but yeah. yeah, you were you were a little ahead of me. Yeah, and then I started on my own in two thousand three. So um, wow, that's amazing. You know, and after us came Philip Waltz. He opened up his company mm-hmm. after a couple of years after ours, and then Jennifer Baum, and then Becca. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything yeah. kind of in between. But you're right because when we first started in our industry in the business, there were a handful of us that were doing hospitality PR, and it was a very yeah. different industry. And even the restaurant business was different because everybody kind of supported each other. And still people do, but there is a com- that friendly competitiveness, you know, that goes yes. on, you know. And at that point, at that time, there really wasn't. Everybody was, did you hear there was a new restaurant opening tonight? We'd be like, no, where? And they'd be like, oh, there's a party. And we'd be, boo, let's go, you know. So it was, we really, I feel bad now because for the people that work with me now, I wish that they had that same sense of what it was that camaraderie of what it was like when restaurants were opening and people traveled together and everybody kind of you know communicated and talked because it really made me a part of the business and made me a part of the industry and I met chefs that I've never worked with who were still friends who went on to become very famous chefs and not that doesn't matter whether I worked with them or not but I still consider them friends because we were together then right well yeah when you and i Keep thinking like David Rabin, someone who, yeah. when I was at KB, we worked with him with Lotus, Lotus sure. and I've just known him all these years and and seen his, you know, this always supported his projects and like it's like we have that, yeah, it's like that 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 longevity of a relationship being in the industry and it's special. When I was a server at Arizona Two Hundred Six, I used to wait on Bobby Flay almost every week. Oh, he was, he was a KB client. Yeah, yeah, for a long time. <laughs> and that's how I got to know him when yeah. he first came to New York from California before Miracle Grill mm-hmm. opened. I know too much. This is the problem. <laughs> before Miracle Grill opened in the East Village, which was the first restaurant that he was a chef at in New York, he used to come to Arizona 206 a wow. lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's funny when you said you said you give you give good phone. I'm yeah. like, I guess I, I've give good email because <laughs> I mean I don't I don't think I, I mean I remember thinking back of about this when I started doing PR of thinking I don't know if I'd be able to pick up the phone all the time and pitch and pitch and pitch but we had email right so um and now I mean talk about let's talk about how the changes that have happened over the years because then social media came out which was a new thing for all of us I mean when, when you started when I started there was no such thing and now it's such a huge part of what we do well, bloggers, you know, the word blogger didn't have, obviously when we first started, when I first started the company in 96, it was print media all the way. And I tell everybody that the New York Times did not have the dining section or now called the food section yet. The restaurant review was still on Friday in the weekend paper and they had the living section, which was kind of like the homemaker section. 
And then at that time, in like, I think it was 1996 or something, when they started the dining and dining out section, Time Out had just begun. The Food Network had just started. Mm-hmm. We would get a call at nine o'clock in the morning from a producer at the Food Network asking us if we could get a chef there by one, one o'clock in the afternoon to do a segment. Because all this was just kind of like percolating and just beginning. So it was a great time. It was really exciting. You didn't really realize that you were on the precipice of so, so much, so many things yeah. happening, you know? Yeah. So how how have you adapted over the years? How has your the size of your company changed or in your role? I mean, from the big desk you had <laughs> to to now probably doing things a little more remotely or, or yeah. are you working in the office now and then the pandemic? I mean, so much has happened. Yeah, I mean, a tremendous amount of happened. You know, how have I adapted? I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of stayed the same. I don't, I, it's just different. Some, you know, I, this is the way that I look at it. You know, if you go to, you, you, back in the day, you know, you had to stand on a soapbox and roll out a scroll and yell, hear ye, hear ye, you know, that was the PR guy. And that's really the way it continues. And it doesn't matter what um, avenue you are using to tell the story. There is always somebody that begins it. So I'm, I feel very fortunate and in, in, a, in a very humble place at being able to start so many stories and tell stories of people that work really hard every day of their lives um, to open up a restaurant, to work in a restaurant, to develop a food product, or to do whatever it is they do. So it's really a place of honor, I think, to be able to be the person who tells that story. And I and and yes, it's nice to see articles in print, but it's nicer to see what people respond to. So it's not so much the vehicle that we use to tell the story. It's what is the what is what is the public responding to that's going to put a butt in the seat. And if it's Instagram, do that. If it's print, do that. Not all publications work the same way for every single restaurant. True. So what do you, what do you, I don't know, I'm saying look for in a client or any clients that you've had over the years that have just been the ideal to work with? I mean, you've been, you've, you've worked with so many amazing restaurants and, and, and the press that you've gotten and the visibility that you've brought is, is I've, I mean, as a, a colleague of yours, yeah. I definitely have always admired your work and you thank do. Thank you. Vice versa. Thank, thank you. you. But you really, you form, I mean, it's, it's, I, I always think it's about relationships and it's about understanding um, what your clients, you know, what their vision is and, 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 and where to tell these stories. But um, do you want to, I don't know, touch on some of. Sure. I mean, you know, what's interesting is that at one time people who wrote about food, and this is no shade on anybody who's writing about food and restaurants now, but when we first began, the press was really about the food. That was what people wanted to write about. And that was what people read about. And a lot of the people that were, food writers at that time had gone to culinary school and they really understood a recipe and they really wanted to write it and taste it and be a part of that. Then when the celebrity chefs kind of took over and the blogger came into play, it was not just about the food. A lot of it was about the atmosphere and and what was going on in the restaurant. And restaurants became places of gossip when a lot of these blogs began. And it was a little, ta- we were all kind of taken aback when certain blogs began and they would start going through what we would say the garbage to find out 
what was really happening inside the restaurant. So there was, we kind of realized that there were people that were starting to write about food that weren't really food aficionados. They just loved the atmosphere and the drama and the excitement of restaurants. And that kind of took over in a lot of, in a lot of cases. So, you know, I've always been kind of lucky, I guess, in some way, because I never really pitched for business. It came my way because of what we did with one other, another restaurant. And then somebody would see it and they would be like, oh, who's your PR person? And they would be like, Paul. And right. then we would get the call and we would get the next person. Or then a sous chef would become a chef. And they were like, oh, I work with that person at Hall. And, you know, we would naturally get an, another client. But I used to laugh all the time. And I still say it to this day. And, and well, I don't want to be insulting, but like the French chefs never call me. You know, I never get those calls. So I always got clients that I found to be really interesting that wanted stories told and even the times before the public was ready to hear them and in some cases before writers were ready to hear them. So I represented Chinese restaurants and Indian restaurants and Japanese restaurants and Spanish restaurants before they were written about as frequently as they are now. So what it gave me was this amazing education in food so I was able to be a knowledgeable source. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the thing that I think was the calling card of my agency was that we were a knowledgeable source and we knew what we were talking about. We did not pretend. We didn't, do, we, we didn't take on a restaurant client because we, all, we had a fashion division and all of a sudden there was a fashionable restaurant. No, I never got... I never worked with those people. So I think that it was, we dove into the, uh, the clients that we had and we really were able to tell people's stories. And I think that, um, journalists realize that. Yeah. And I, I took my tip today from, from, uh, your website, I guess you'd say, uh, your company, you have global in scope and genuine in approach, um, as, as part of, uh, what your what Hall PR stands for, and yeah. I, I love that, and so I was inspired to share that today. No, I, when you were talking about it, I was like, that is the truth, mm-hmm. because if you are not real, then you're you're nothing. People see through you. Yeah. Well, sometimes people don't see through you. You know, They see a lot of hype, and yes. hype is a, a wonderful thing, but as a PR person like to you, I'm a PR person, I'm, I'm, I'm reading the paper, and I'm like, Oh God, that's a great PR person who planted that story. You know what I mean? You can't read something without thinking, who was the person behind that? So funny you say that because it's so funny when I am looking at articles and it's just the way your mind works of like, oh, who's the publicist? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I know. It's true. Yeah. It's true. True. So let me ask you my question for my last guest. On episode 296, I had on Manish Goal. He's an entrepreneur and restaurateur who recently opened Sona, a new Indian brasserie in New York City's Flatiron District featuring Timeless India. So he wants to know, how do you make a restaurant in a cuisine category stand out among the rest as it's something they think about in New York City and other cities as they're which have so many Indian restaurants? So basically he's saying, how do they stand out? And he he um went on to say how how he's uh, really impressed with the work you've done with the amazing guys at Damaka and Ada. And um, yeah, he kind of was like, what, can you do this for us? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you know, it's that's that's very nice of him, and he's a lovely guy. And Sona's fantastic restaurant um, run by great people. Um, and uh, it's interesting because I have worked with Ronnie and Chintan since 2016. Um, I met Ronnie first um, because there was a restaurant space on Greenwich Avenue, which is currently Rahi, the rest, mm-hmm. the first restaurant that Ronnie and Chintan did together. And it was a restaurant with another chef, and it wasn't doing so well. And I came in there as, as a, I think, the second or third PR person on it. Um, and Ronnie and I established a great relationship. And the restaurant failed, but our relationship continued. And then in 2017 is when he met Chintan Pandya, who was working at Janoon, and they became, and they developed the concept for Rahi. And it took about 10 months for Rahi to kind of reach its level of excellence. Somewhat because people in the neighborhood were like, oh, that was a different restaurant six six months ago, and it was a different restaurant a year before that. So I don't know, is this one really good? So that happens a lot, you know, in the business where a lot of people don't trust the restaurant until it's been there for a while. That's as far as the neighborhood goes. But it was also about establishing the footing for Ronnie as a restaurateur, Chintan as a chef, and what they were doing. And I just dragged everybody imaginable into the restaurant that I possibly could to eat there and to tell me what they thought because I want to make sure that I don't have tunnel vision. I want to make sure that the food is just as good to the a person who isn't being paid by them, mm-hmm. A, and isn't um, directly attached, attached, you know, who knows the story, who wants so much for them to succeed. So I want to make sure that this, so I just, I'm very notorious for just being out all the time at my clients tasting every single day to make sure that the consistency is there, that the people are having a good time in the restaurant. I watch the faces. I watch the service. I do so much more for my clients than just PR, meaning placing them in the paper, because I want to make sure that the PR works. Mm-hmm. And and I tell everybody the same thing. My work brings people into the restaurant once. Mm-hmm. Once they're in that chair, they're yours. And if they don't come back, don't come crying to me. So, but but going back to Manisha's question, it took 10 months for Chintan to get himself, you know, for him to get his sea legs and to understand who he was as a chef. He really wanted to express himself in a in a broad way. And, you know, at a restaurant in Greenwich Village at X amount of dollars a month for rent can't be overly daring. So you can touch on being daring to satisfy the critics and to satisfy the food public, but you also have to get people who want to come in and just don't think, oh, I'm not going, I don't feel like Indian tonight. So you have to change people's notions about what the food is. And the only way to do that is to give them a softer version of it so that they develop a taste and a palate and, and, and a change. And writers were the same way. When we wrote, when we had 2017, there were a lot, weren't a lot of, I mean, there certainly had been other Indian restaurants. Let's not face it, Debbie, you know, um, right. Akbar, I mean, Bombay Talkie. I did a lot of them. Great Indian restaurants have come, but sometimes it's just the right place, right time too. And, um, and that really worked in their favor. And then when Ada opened in 2018, it, it was across the street from, um, LaGuardia. It is across the street from LaGuardia community college. People took the train there to the seven train destination. And then when you got there, you had this amazing taste of home India that people just went 
crazy over. And more crazy than they did about Rahi, which was India light compared, mm-hmm. you know, when you when you think about it. But that was for mass population. And Ada being a, this small space in Long Island City, it didn't have it much at risk. So we were able to do a lot more with it. And then the first day that I tasted the food, I was like, oh, no, this is not going to be the same as anything else because we don't need to do a big campaign. We don't need 100 people to come here tonight. We need 10 people to come here tonight, 20 people to come here tonight. So I started bringing media people in one by one as opposed to en masse, one by one by one on one until we found the writer who got it. And then we had one writer who got it. He wrote, his name is Richard Morgan. He wrote an amazing story on Grub Street. And then it just Yes, it went has. Off. It has. Yeah. It, it really has. Yeah. yeah. But it, as, I mean, I guess a follow-up question I have to this is even like, I mean, this took time. I mean, yeah. it, you know, so how do you keep, how do you keep, uh, I guess every client is different maybe with their their belief in like, the power of PR or, or, or how this process works. But mm-hmm. how do you, I mean, how were they, were they on board this whole time with, you know, from, you said 10 months in with Rahi, you know, finally there was a, a shift or something. And I remember actually I ate at Rahi with our good friend Pisheyong. Mm. And I don't know when that was in the, in the cycle of everything. Yeah, we yeah. had an amazing meal and I've had an amazing meal at all these, all of their restaurants, but like, how, I guess, is there, do you have to be a, 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 I don't know, a cheerleader in a sense for, for them or the client to, to keep them believing that like, this is going to work. It's just going to take time. Yes, you do. I mean, you have to convince people of the process. A lot of people don't give us, I you don't have to tell you this. A lot of people don't give us the time that we need in order to establish their identity. Mm-hmm. People, when people say to me, oh, I only budgeted PR. For, I, there's so many preconceived notions about PR that drive me absolutely out of my mind. But when when people come to me and they say, I only budgeted enough for four months worth of PR, I would be, I say, well, how long is your lease? Or four weeks. You know, right? <laughs> how long is your lease? And they're like, oh, 15 years. And I'm like, so what are you going to do the other 14 and a half years to get the, to le- keep letting people know that you exist? Mm-hmm. To keep letting people know that you're here. So, that is there, and there are t- some people like Ronnie and Ronnie as as a restaurateur who sat with me and understood that and listened to me, and together we came up with a plan. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody that we're not just your publicists; we're your partners. We're not your partners in th- in the bank, but we're your partners because we are out there telling your story. And I, and how many times have you done this where you'll send out a press release on something and they, a writer doesn't pick it up, but a year later, a writer will call you and say, remember when you sent me that press release on brown tables in restaurants? Uh Well, guess what? I'm writing that story. And then you're like, oh, I'm no longer working with that client, but you still need the writer for the current clients that you are working with. So you wind up doing the work anyway. Right. Yes. There isn't, there isn't a definitive end. Uh, I mean, if if you're a, if you're a good, right. good PR person or just a good person or just I don't I mean it, what makes sense to do right um, that doesn't and, really answer Manisha's question, which is <laughs> how do you well, stand out in the market? But you stand out in the market by 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 being yourself, mm-hmm. by being true to who you are, and not trying to gloss over. Too many people gloss over. They think it, you know, if they think oh, my decor is great. And if you start getting press on your decor before you start getting press on your food, then no one's going to care about your food six months later because all they thought of you about is a restaurant that has a great decor. 
Yeah. So you've got to kind of like, you know, you've got to decide what you want to be known for and what what is going to strike with the public. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep knocking on the doors, you know, that's that's all. You have to keep yeah. knocking on the doors and you have to bring people to the, ho- the water. You know, you have to bring the horse to the water. Yeah. Yeah. And and, I mean, you're so passionate and, and I feel passion is a part of it too, or just, I've always said I have to represent, oh, I can only represent restaurants or any products or any people that I believe in. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the genuineness of it and telling the story and being passionate about it. And when you're passionate about it, you can get other people uh, on board. And you, you certainly, I mean, your passion is just like filling this, this, cozy little studio. <laughs> when I came back, when I went, when I first went to Japan and I came back from Japan and I started to tell everybody that I was going to represent every Japanese restaurant that opened in New York, I did for a short period of time. <laughs> yes, I remember then that. Other people, then other people got said, oh, this is a really good idea. Maybe I should start representing some Japanese restaurants too. And I, and mm-hmm. I realized that I can't represent them all. You know, there is, comes a time when there is a conflict, you yes, know, yes. Um, and we have to be cognizant of that. Um, but I'm still very proud of the fact that for those couple of years, I did represent every Japanese restaurant that opened up in New York because no matter who does it now, I know that I planted that seed. You certainly did. And on that note, let's take a little break. Okay. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. I'm excited to partner with Talk, the only unified platform for reservations, takeout, and event management. Talk is home to 7,000 restaurants, bars, wineries, and breweries, including La Natural in Miami. La Natural is a neighborhood restaurant serving sourdough pizza, veggie-centric dishes, and natural wines in a relaxed indoor and outdoor space. So I featured La Natural on my solo dining experience on episode 292. I had heard wonderful things about the restaurant, and I had previously met the owner, Javier. So I wanted to go when I was down in Miami at this year's South Beach Wine and Food Festival. So I grabbed a reservation on Talk, and I went to check it out. I loved my dinner there. I had smoked oyster mushrooms, and I also had a tomato sauce, burrata, and basil pizza. Both were delicious, and I can't wait to return. To learn more about how Talk powers reservations, events, and takeout, go to exploretalk.com slash join. That's exploretalk.com slash join. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. 
So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of $5 or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Stephen Hall. He's the founder of Hall PR, a multilingual media agency focusing on culinary and hospitality based here in New York City. So, Stephen, it's time for my speed round game. All right. I'm ready, I think. I think you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) I could talk fast. Uh So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. So here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out at a restaurant. It's the first time I had to phrase it that way because I've been going eat in and eat out and everyone in the since the pandemic has been confused. <laughs> um, eat out at a restaurant. And now I'm adding a bonus one. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Indoor all the way. Okay. It's funny. I never <laughs> like was real. I, I mean, I grew up in New York City. I'm like, do I want to sit opposite bus fumes? I'm not sure. You want that dirt to fly into my food? Not really. So New Yorkers will sit anywhere, anywhere. outside. It's anywhere. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's hot and it's sweaty and everything. No, indoors all the way. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. I'm <laughs> glad I added that one in. All right. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large. Communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Sit-down dinner events or walk-around cocktail events? Walk-around cocktail events. (laughs) Musicals or plays? Oh, Tough one. <laughs> oh, there, there's where I stump you. I'm sorry, musicals. It's a musical. Who doesn't love a musical? Well, it's I always know, a happy place. I know you're a theater guy. I'm a theater guy. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Manhattan, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't apologize no to me. No offense to Roberta's. No offense to Roberta's. We love Roberta's, but yeah, yeah. Manhattan. Manhattan, yeah. Cool. Growing up in Queens, Manhattan was always the, you know, the goal, mm-hmm. you know, was the goal. And then when Brooklyn became the goal, I was just like, oh, that's so weird, you know. <laughs> but yeah, Manhattan all the way. Yeah, I've, I've only lived in Manhattan since I've been in New York since 98. Yeah. So that's right. my, yep. my what I would pick as well, even yep. though I love Brooklyn. Yeah. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article on Eater New York. The title is... A record number of restaurants are opening in New York City, sort of. 16 months after the onset of the pandemic, the five boroughs are experiencing a restaurant renaissance, but opening numbers are still down from 2019. And this is by Luke Fortney. Um, yeah, the title basically says it all. It's, it's, there are, you know, a lot of new restaurants opening and it's kind of looking like uh, there's more than usual, but it's really not. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, look, there's there's always restaurants opening, and of course, we're coming we're coming. We're not out of the pandemic. Obviously, we're still somewhat in the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and. I, restaurant people are incredible people to work with. Um, I always say they're like circus people, you know, they have to do what they do. So it's only natural that there would be new restaurants that were opening up because people want to do new things. They want to express themselves in different ways. And the fact is that there's some rest real estate deals out there now. And if people have the means, why shouldn't they take the opportunity to get a space? Yeah, well, I I agree with that, and there have been. I was thinking, it's also a lot, a lot of. Uh, there are a lot of new restaurants opening, but there are a lot of it's all reopenings too. What's right. happening now? Right. Because things a lot of places weren't open last year, or, or readjusted, or just right. getting 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 back into the game. Um, this this article said um, from statistics that was on Yelp. It said. Close to 700 restaurants opened their doors between March and May 2021. Um, same time it, between in 2019, it was 1,000 restaurants. So that's what they're looking at. Who believes at. what you read on Yelp? <laughs> well, <laughs> Have I'm you just, read some of those things that people write this, on Yelp? <laughs> this was a data thing, not an opinion thing, but maybe I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not really going to argue with you there. <laughs> Um, but any, I don't know. I think it's how many. How many does it say? It says it says seven hundred opened for. It was between March and May this year, okay. and in the country, versus a thousand in New York. Um, or just or in. I think this was in the city. Yeah. All right. Well, I believe that. I mean, look, everybody was kind of waiting to open places that didn't open. And right, we both mm-hmm. had clients yeah. that were supposed to open pre-pandemic and didn't. And then we had some clients that were ready to open. And then in June, when indoor, when outdoor dining became, you know, the sheds and people were uh, allowed to have outdoor dining, they were like, "Well, we got to open." So they opened, and then throughout throughout that time, from June till the following, I'd say November, there were a fair amount of restaurants that opened. And then when they shut down indoor dining again at the in December, people who were going to open then waited until February. So yeah. you know, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and I think I I mean I don't how was it this past year for you? Was it was it a pause with a lot of your restaurant clients, like with me. And so, I mean, some, some restaurants closed for good and then those accounts obviously ended, but a lot of it um, was a pause or a shift or I don't know, but were you able to maintain most of the relationships you had, I guess, before? You know, I will tell you that my longest term client is Carmine's in Times Square. I've represented them for over 20 years and they have been a a backbone of the agency for so long and it's such a great brand to represent and we've watched it grow and we have so much fun with it. And the CEO um, said to me when the pandemic began, it's not like anybody's going to fire you. They're just not going to pay you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, then it's business as usual, isn't it? Because it's the restaurant business. So what? This is supposed to last 90 days? So that's that's okay. That's usually what it is. Um, so I kind of didn't, I worried, obviously, tremendously when the whole thing began. But I called every single client and I just said, what can you afford to pay so that we can continue to keep you alive? And nobody knew what the media was going to do. Nobody knew what restaurants were going to do. So it was all hands on deck and we all worked together. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, 
what made the industry so strong now and all of the new initiatives that have been going on to save the industry was the fact that everybody said, okay, roll up the sleeves. We're all in this together and we'll come out of it together. And I'm not worried about, I mean, obviously I run a business, so I need to make money. But that's not what drives me. If money drove me in the PR world, I would go work for Pfizer. Yeah. Well, yes, I agree with all that. And you're right. And you had your uh, your initiative, your Dining Bond initiative yeah. that you started with Helen Patricas, yeah, which yeah, yeah. was awesome. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, to do. And also, I'll just, I'll share this because it's kind of a fun fact. Um, back when I moved to New York in the late 90s, um, I was... I was like dabbling in in different jobs and I had a job as a secret restaurant, I guess, like reviewer, like a secret shopper shopper, and Virgil's and, and Carmine's that group was on it. And I would sign up to do those restaurants because I also, I wasn't dining out or though I didn't have the the, the, the budget yeah. to, to dine out. The, I mean, I dine out a lot more now. I spend a lot more money at restaurants. But it was like this opportunity to try these restaurants. And it took a long time to do these write-ups. But I don't know if you remember that. I do. Like, I had to, you had to evaluate the service, the food, the whole, the the whole paying process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, I always think of, I was, I did a lot of those with that restaurant group. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I was at an event last night and I found out from Melba Wilson that Virgil's was originally supposed to be a restaurant with her, which oh. I did not know. Um, but they did this whole circuit. The original owners, um, Artie Cutler and Godfrey Palestina and Michael Ronis did a whole barbecue circuit because it was really one of the first barbecue restaurants to open in New York. Virgil's was a big deal right. when it I was moved here. Real barbecue, yeah. real yeah. and still is, and uh-huh. it's just reopening actually next, actually this week tomorrow. Um, but it is awesome. real barbecue, and it was before Hill Country, before Hometown, before any of those others come along, came along. And these guys with Melba went on this barbecue circuit to really taste what St. Louis barbecue, Memphis barbecue, you know, all these other things. So I just, I guess. It's impressive that restaurant group has been around for so long and doing. Yeah, 30 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. And Carmine's is one of the top independently owned restaurants, top grossing independently owned restaurants in the country. Yeah. And that you've worked with them all this time. I mean, that's also equally impressive. And this, yeah. And it's great because there are people that need, there are people that need us for business. I need business tonight. Mm -hmm. So I need to be on Eater today. And there are people that just want to be part of the conversation on a continuous basis and not let people forget about them and not have people forget about them. Yes. So that's the interesting thing about our job is balancing, right? It's, an, yeah. it's a balancing game of those people that need everything immediately and those people that, you know, you're there for them. You're like a life insurance policy. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I'm sure for you, like it keeps it interesting because of like, course. you know, with PR, yeah, it's like, it's, I guess a little bit of, I wouldn't say a formula, but it's like, you kind of, you know, you know, you, there's a, I don't know, a, being a PR, being the middleman between the media, like there's, there's obviously something that's, um, uh, that that's consistent between clients in a sense, but also that's completely different. Every client, as you said, has their yep. own needs and and where your or your approach to it 100% and you got to think on your feet and mm-hmm. you've got to respond when you get the call from the writer you know you've got to know how to talk to people how to write to people it's actually a very you know right brain i always say it's a right brain left brain job 
because it's not just overly technical, it's creative, but you can't be too creative because if you're too creative, you're writing the story for the writer that you're asking to write the story. Right. So it's a really wonderful kind of, I love it because it's kind of a, it's a great, it's being a chameleon, you know, mm-hmm. and it's be, it's in a great balancing act. And God knows, look at what we do every day. We talk to writers about food and we talk to chefs about food and restaurants and we try things and, you know, we travel for it and it's, it's incredibly exciting, yeah. you know, I yeah. mean, every restaurant is a new experience. It really is. We eat well. Yeah, <laughs> we eat well. That's why we go to. That's why God invented treadmills. That's what I always say. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Balance. Okay, so let me share my solo dining experience this week. Um, it's not. A, I don't think it's not someone you're working with or I'm working with, but it's just a restaurant I wanted to check out called Carne Mar. Huh. Here's the rundown. The location: 89 South Street at Fulton Street on Pier 17, the Seaport, New York City. The concept, it's an Italian chop house. The owners are, it's the NoHo Hospitality Group, which is led by Chef Andrew Carmelini, and the chef de cuisine is Brendan Scott. So why'd I go? Well, I'm a big fan of Andrew Carmelini's restaurants, and um, I heard wonderful things about this this place. And and actually, back when I did my host conference um, in January 2020, it was at the William Vale, and Luca, which is one of uh, Andrew Carmelini's restaurants. Um, they hosted our curated lunch. And so um, I'm always, when he opens a new place, I want to go. So my experience, I made a reservation for one on Friday night. I was led upstairs to this fabulous table in the corner. It was really perfect. It had a, a view of the whole dining room. And also um, you could look out the windows and see the boats off the pier. Um, I asked if the chef was there and he was. And so he was able, he came out and um, actually they, it's like they, I, I don't know, they knew, you know, they saw my name in the book and it just made me feel special that they knew I was coming in, even though I didn't tell anyone. I just feel, I feel really lucky that I'm, I don't know, that that chefs that I've built relationships with are are happy when, you know, you go support them and see them. And, and that's always what I'm about. That's why I wanted to go to this restaurant. I wanted to see what he was doing and support him. So, and the food was delicious. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, it's, it was hard. I mean, I have to say a chop house, a steakhouse is challenging as a solo diner. Because, I was going to say bravo to you for yeah. eating there by yourself. It's amazing. Yes. Everything, you know, it's like, it's, it's big portions, big prices, a la carte, like all of that. But I was like, I'm just going to go, I'm going to do this and I have to go back. But, um, I had a really great time. I'll tell you what I got. I got the mozzarella sticks and caviar king crab lettuce cups, pull-apart garlicky bread, which was complimentary, and the salt-baked black sea bass with a lovely tableside presentation was my main, and also they sent out the 17-layer chocolate cake and, and an espresso I had with that. So yes, I went with seafood this, even though I do like, I do like meat, but I was just, I was, I don't know, I was I was, I was over ordering and still trying to like figure out how I could do this without getting getting too full. So my take it was really all fabulous. I say the bread itself is worth going to this mm-hmm. restaurant for. It's this pull apart buns they bring to the table. It's like divine. Um, I had to get the mozzarella sticks with the caviar. I mean, I ate all the caviar off the top and some of the mozzarella. Um, way to go. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah, I was like combining that. Like, <laughs> let me just finish all the caviar if I can't finish all this this cheese. Um, 
the crab lettuce, uh, uh, the lettuce, uh, they were, they were very light, this crab and like little lettuce wraps and, and delicious. I like those. And they did this beautiful presentation of the, of the sea bass. Um, it was quite a large portion, actually. I did have leftovers and that was served with, uh, olives and, uh, preserved olives and citrus. And then the cake, this decadent chocolate cake, 17 layers. I've I mean, had that cake. have you, so have you been there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it was, it was a great, it was a really great meal. Um, the ambiance it's, so it's two, two floors. It's like, it's like kind of dark and sexy. It gets darker. You know, they dim the lights as it gets later. I, I saw in FloFab's piece that she just, she said it's butterscotch leather as the banquets, which I did not, I would not have described it as butterscotch, but I love that that's the color. <laughs> um, polished wood and brass, and it's a very pretty space. It has an open kitchen and a great spirally staircase um, going upstairs. So it's perfect for, I'd say, dinner with friends or a date who wants to share with you. Interesting tidbit. So NoHo Hospitality Group has a collection of food and beverage works um, that they now have over 18 properties. And this is Chef Carmelini with Luke Ostrom and Josh Pickard. And um, downstairs, they have a uh, there's a Mr. Dips now. I think it's the second location in New York City of 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 this concept, um, which also started at the William Vale in Brooklyn. And it's griddled burgers, waffle fries, and dairy dips, and more. So if you want something more casual on the pier, you can go there. Personal fun fact: I just I went out a lot last week solo. I was just kind of on. I don't know. I was just going. I went to Wild Air. I went to. Lucali and I went to Racines, all restaurants I've been to before that I know the chefs and want to support them. And uh, Racines is actually closing. So it was it was important for me to go there and just I think they're going to come back as a different concept. Um, but um, that's uh, Chef Diego Moya and uh, Sommelier uh, Pascaline Lepetier. Um, so I wish them the best. So the cost of my meal at Carne Mar was $84. That's not including tax gratuity or the chocolate cake and espresso as they were comped. Would I go back? Yes. I'm thinking it's a date night if someone wants to go, and I'm going to have steak and salad next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's That gorgonzola steak that they do there is really killer. I'm not a big cheese guy, you know, which is why when your question came up, cheese or dessert, I would say dessert. Uh-huh. But that gorgonzola, the, the way that, I don't know how he cooks it, but the way that he does that gorgonzola steak is it's just a hint, like a little kiss of the gorgonzola. Um, on the steak, yeah. and it's really, really delicious. Is that was that your main? What else do you get? No, I was there with a group of people, so I kind of came later on. Um, yeah. It was a friend's birthday, and a few people were there, so that when I by the time I got there, the table was filled with food. So, and I had eaten before, but that didn't stop me from using my second stomach and having like a little piece of meat and a little piece of sea bass and some yeah. of the linguine with caviar and obviously dessert. And they had this baked Alaska. They did this baked. Oh, wow. oh my god, it was real. It was truly, really delicious. It was a fun night, you know, very New York-y mm-hmm. kind of night. You know, I was there and Jane Krakowski was there with David Rockwell and, you know, a couple of other writers were at another table. I don't want to give anybody up, but a couple of writers were at another table. So it was kind of like one of those like, hi, hi, kiss, kiss kind of nights. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're always fun when that happens. Yeah. Now well, that we could do it again. Yeah, it is. I mean, well, it's a new restaurant. I think new restaurant, new, what do they say? New York is like the, the smallest big city or right, biggest right, small right, city. Right, right. Yeah, something like that. But um, I think with new restaurants, when they open, it's like our 
people or restaurant people go. So yeah, especially if it's people like mm-hmm. Andrew Carmelini and Josh right. Picard who are notable restaurateurs yes. and notable chefs and have fans and you know unfortunately I mean there's good news and bad news. The great news is that everybody wants to go. The bad news is that everybody wants to go on the first day. You know, yes. and then and you you know as well as I do that restaurants are never always 100% the first day. Right. Yes. Well, I think it's been open for about maybe a month now. So it's still pretty new, but yeah, still new. And as, and anyone who hasn't if you haven't been down to the the seaport, uh, like there's so much happening there. And Amazing. there's now Momofuku-sam is opened. Yeah. Uh, the Fulton still is at, you know, at the end. It's just it's um it's it's got good energy. It's a gorgeous. It's just a gorgeous place to get you get the view of Brooklyn. It's it's a really nice setting. The testament will be will people go in the winter? When it gets yeah. so cold down there, you know. But yeah. there's so much more residents in the area than there ever was before. So those people are like a crown shy, you know. Now mm-hmm. it's become a neighborhood restaurant for people that live in the financial district. Right. So I think that because residences are increasing so much in those areas, that is definitely the people that will go on a regular night. Yes, yes. And actually, Carnemar, it feels like feels like it's more of like a wintry type restaurant to me feel Very cozy cubby yeah. you know yeah yeah totally even though they do have some some outdoor dining and and it's and downstairs a little more casual i think it's got the bar yeah it looked like there was a bar downstairs um it's it's great it's great i'm a fan congratulations to them check it out their website is carnemar.com and on instagram at carnemar it's time for the final question uh oh so my next guest are Mark Iacono. Oh yeah, you asked me that. I have to come up with one now. <laughs> yes, yes. This is I'm oh my I'm God. This is I mean I'm having this 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 pizza legend and barbecue legend on together. I know that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I have to say the Red Hook Tavern thing is obviously the burger, which is just such a you know showstopper, right? People are going to Red Hook Tavern yeah. to have that to have the burger. I guess my question to them would be: Wait, how did, wait, oh, wait before Sorry. you do, because I need to tell people who you're asking questions for. Because uh, oh. you know, but they don't know. Ah, so, okay, Mark. I, Sorry, Mark. I Iacono. I Icono. I think I'm saying that right. Mm. I'm gonna get that right when he comes on. Uh, the owner of Lucali in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn, is like a legendary pizza guy. Uh, and Billy Durney is the owner of Hometown Barbecue in Red Hook, Brooklyn, Industry City, Brooklyn. He also has a location in Miami, and then he has. So you're talking about the burger Red Hook Tavern in Red Hook. Brooklyn. So the question is for Mark and Billy. They're good friends. This is going to be, I'm really excited to have them on. And now go. I guess my question for them would be, how do they keep it fresh? They're doing, they're doing food that is kind of um, classic um, with pizza and barbecue. And how do they keep themselves motivated and excited when they've been producing the same type of food over and over and over again for so long? It's a good question. I always think of that too with like, yeah, like I think restaurants who, when they get known for something, like he's known, they're known for the burger. So right. you got to, you can never take the burger off the menu. Or when, right. I think when restaurants sometimes try to take something that people love off the menu and then they have to put it back on. Right. So it's a little mutiny, yeah. you know? Yeah. I always love it when, you know, I try to eat things like two and three days in a row when, especially at the beginning for friends and family and when our restaurants, because I'm always sort of like, you know, the burger was a little salty on Tuesday. It wasn't so salty on Wednesday. You know, it's always that consistency, right? People yeah. strive for consistency. So that would be the thing. How do you keep it fresh? How do they keep themselves excited? You know? Awesome. I will find out. 
And um, I will listen in. Thank you. That's the show. Bravo. We could we could chat. Well, we could. We're I gonna was going to say, pizza. is this part but one? Is there going to be a part two? We have to do part two. No, we could just do the a whole series. <laughs> we could do the the PR series. Yeah. Right. No, it's really. I mean, you're. Uh, I just admire like all of your work. Just knowing you. you, everything you do, your and just getting to know you over the years, and the fact you know, it's like PR people. I don't know, sometimes we've gotten a bad rap, but we're we're, yeah. we're we're good people, and we we support each other. I think I, I don't know. This I always think there's enough work to go around for all of us, and we can help each other, and we do. So there I are really, 700 new restaurants that opened up in the last year. <laughs> That's plenty of work to go around. So funny. Once when uh, one of my restaurants got reviewed, it was just like his flack says, and I said to somebody, "What's a flack?" And they were like, "That's you." And I was like, "Really? I'm a flack?" I had, you know, I just yeah. To me, I was just a folk singer, you know, without a guitar. <laughs> yeah, nobody. I don't. I don't understand. I've never understood flack. Like it doesn't get used that much. But maybe yeah, it's, it's not kind the of like best. An old term like press agent. Yeah. You know? PR, publicist, I don't know. The I always want to do a, revi- a revival of the musical, The Sweet Smell of Success, which is a musical yeah. about about publicity. We'll do it. Yes, right? We should do it. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. And on that note, that's the show. But thank you so <laughs> much for joining me. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, as, as the first show back here at Heritage Radio Network in the studio to do it with you and to be here, it's really special. Thank you so much. So. I'm so honored. Yeah, truly. Thank you. Thank you. My guest today has been Stephen Hall. He's the founder of Hall PR, a multilingual media agency focusing on culinary and hospitality. His website is hallpr.com, and you can follow him at Stephen S. Hall and at Hall PR. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So it's our summer membership drive here at Heritage Radio Network. We would love your support. As as my listeners or you know, or most of you may know, I started this podcast over seven years ago. I can't believe I've been on the air that long. It's a passion project, and I love being a part of Heritage Radio Network. And we are a nonprofit. We rely on the support of our listeners. So... Uh, we would love if you would consider becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN. If you aren't already, you can give any dollar amount, even a dollar a month, uh, just to keep us on the air. We would greatly appreciate it. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and designate my show all in the industry. And thank you so much in advance. Thanks to my engineer today, Liam Werner. And thanks again to Stephen. Thanks also to our sponsor, Talk. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'm off next week. So my next show back with Mark and Billy will be on August 11th. Stay tuned for that. Stay safe and well. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. 
For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.